Welcome to Let's Get To, the baseball podcast from the fans' perspective. Now here's your host, James Christopher. And that's right. Welcome to Let's Get To. I am your host, James Christopher. Baseball is in full swing, and we've got a full show for you. Andy Milovich, the general manager of the Frisco Rough Riders, is going to be joining us. We're going to be visited by Bobby Dynamite, the guy that literally drives the Astros train. Jessica and I hit up the Astros Futures game between the Round Rock Express and the Corpus Christi Hooks at Dell Diamond. And of course, Tim is here to talk about some stuff our dad hates about baseball, and we're going to talk about the serious subject of bobbleheads. And I want to start out to all my fans of Major League Baseball and have you all breathe in, breathe out. Think about Mr. Miyagi and the Karate Kid. Life must have balance. Some of you fan bases are super excited. And some of you fan bases are panicked. As of this recording, the Astros, Yankees, and Red Sox are either at or below 500. And then some teams like the Orioles, which we wouldn't have expected, or the Mariners for that matter, are above 500. Yankees, Astros, Red Sox, your season's not over. Mariners and Orioles, you are not in the ALCS. It is a long season. Now, speaking directly to the teams under 500 that expected to win over 100 games, and let's be honest, they probably still will. It's a long season, and all of those teams went through stretches that happen in baseball where you do lose to inferior teams. The reason that it happened, or the reason that it matters, is that it happened at the beginning of the season, so it makes your record look upside down. Astros fans, for example, because again, it's what I know the most. Most people that are Astros fans know that their offense traditionally starts slow. And you take the slow starting offense and you put it in a stadium where they never win, Tropicana Field, where they are 9-18 and 18 all time. And you're going to get the exact same result that you got last year, a 1-3 series. Again, last year it happened in the middle of the season when they were 20 games over 500 and nobody noticed. Just Relax. Look, I'm not going to say that there's never a reason to be concerned if you hit a losing skid at the beginning of the season. If the Astros had gone 1-3 and three against the Rays and they had lost those games 13-11 to 11 and not averaging 3-1, to one, then I would be worried because it would mean the pitching was falling apart and the pitching was already something we were all a little concerned about. Or if there were like a rash of injuries. So like Yankees fans, for example, should you be worried that you're 500? No. Should you be worried that you already have two players on the injured list? I mean, yes. But how dumb is it to be worried now or to be super excited now? Because of some commitments, I'm actually recording this Tuesday afternoon. By the time this airs, all three of those AL teams could be above 500 and well on their way. So don't panic until Memorial Day. But don't panic at all. You know why? Because today... The day this episode drops is, for the most part, opening day of the minor league baseball season. Some of my happiest places on earth are minor league parks. 
It's fun. There's great food, the antics, and you get to really see good baseball at all levels. Something to think about. Only like 10% of Division I college baseball players actually get drafted. Great players also get drafted out of high school, other colleges, some sign from independent leagues. So when you go to a minor league team, regardless if it's AAA or if it's a short season single A team, you're seeing really good, almost elite baseball. So enjoy it and enjoy the atmosphere. This weekend, Jessica and I had a chance to get to the Dell Diamond for the Astros Futures game between the Hooks and the Express. Those are the Astros AA and AAA affiliates, respectively. You'll hear more of our fun from the from the Bleachers segment, but we do want to send a shout-out to Andrew Feltz for making us feel so welcome. They really, really took care of us in the show. As the Express embarked on their 20th anniversary in the Austin suburb, they made some great additions to the Dell Diamond that's going to make that experience even better. Not only did they already have some of the best food and craft beer selections out there, they also have a big new addition. The Home Run Dugout has a full bar with all manner of spirits, great food, including... Honestly, an amazing burger that we had with Nolan Ryan beef. This burger looked so good that I didn't even have a dog at the game, and that's like sacrilege for me. Inside, they also have a really cool virtual reality batting cage that looked like a lot of fun. I'm definitely going to try it next time. There was a long line with, with it being the first time it was open, so I wasn't able to. But you walk in, and it's it's decorated with really great players, of baseball's past, including a really cool picture from the Women's Professional Baseball League in the 40s. Um, It just really felt like a very classy addition to what was already a very, very cool ballpark. So absolutely check it out. But the cool thing about the Dell Diamond and the the cool thing I think about the Run Rock Express is, is this new addition and the new things that they have planned fall in line with what they've always done well, hospitality. When we went out there, it was a chilly afternoon, but we had a great time and we're looking forward to the home opener next week. But the coolest thing was that I will bet you no fewer than five people stopped to ask if we were having a good time. I mean, this goes from people that were ushers to Reese Ryan himself. And so it really was just a cool and welcoming environment, exactly what you would hope for from a minor league baseball operation. And again, the difference between when it comes down to your entertainment dollar, why I think minor league baseball really is worth it. And why that dollar seems to go a lot farther there. So we're like, again, we're excited. We're going to be out at opening day next week. We're hoping it's going to be a little bit warmer, but either way, bring it on. This month alone is going to be a blast for baseball for me. Um, we'll be visiting the Express. I'll be at the San Antonio Missions. I'm going to be seeing the Gwinnett Stripers in Georgia, then heading down to the Augusta Green Jackets. In Florida, I'll be seeing the Tampa Tarpons and then the Fort Myers Miracle. And of course, I will be at the second game of the first homestand for the Houston Astros. So yeah, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm really glad that you're here with Let's Get To to follow my exploits as I work on this and the documentary that I'll be putting together of my love affair with the game. So before we get into the rest of the show, I want to do a real quick shout out again to Ben Hill. We had Ben on the show a couple weeks ago, and he wrote a really great article that we'll put a link to in the description of this podcast covering some of the key major anniversaries like the 20th anniversary of the Round Rock Express and some of the cool relationships that are going to be going on with minor league baseball. So definitely check it out. Stuff about baseball my dad hates. All right, so we are back with my brother Tim to talk about things that my dad hates about baseball. What's got the old man grumpy this week? 
Well, this week, we're going to bring up the stamina of modern pitchers. Now, this is saying that, not saying that every pitcher today can't do it, but typically most managers will pull uh, any any starting pitcher after a certain pitch count or something like that. About 100, generally. Generally. Um, but our father tends to think that back in the 80s and 90s, oh, and before that, obviously, <laughs> and at, at, that pitchers were just able to pitch the whole game. And, and that's... Really? They always really? bring up Bob Gibson. This, yeah, this is Bob, I am Bob Bob Gibson was half blind. He could pitch 18 complete games. Right, and the and the whole Nolan Ryan losing a pint of blood but still able to pitch. <laughs> yeah, look, this is just not the game today. One, the thing the thing to remember about Bob Gibson is, yeah, he would pitch a lot. But he also had, like, like I think one year Bob Gibson was 18 and 11, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I know records for for pitchers don't matter a lot, and I, all my Cardinals fans are freaking out because, well, he had no run support. I get it because we watched Nolan Ryan do that in 1987. I just think the game is different. I think when you look at the way the statistics play out, generally speaking, third time through a lineup, a pitcher is less effective. And if you're allowed to carry X number of pitchers, then you need to use them. And that's, you know, and I also don't, you know, the game's longer than it used to be. I, you have longer series of playoffs. You don't want a guy with no arm by the time you get to the playoffs, and then the pitchers you would have to use in reserve have no experience. And 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 there's a lot, there's a lot more, which is for pitches, right? Uh, different pitches that that take more out of a pitcher's arm. Sure. Uh, so so it's not just all about the heat and the curveball. Yeah. It is now really intricate in how they use it and the strategy a manager wants to use with that. So. Yeah, I think Dad. You're going to have to let this one go. Yeah. Sorry, Dad. So this week, from the bleachers, Jessica and I headed up I-35 North to the Dell Diamond for the Astros Futures game between the Hooks of Corpus Christi and the Express of Round Rock. All right, so we are here on Let's Get To, and we're not coming to you from the bleachers. We're coming to you from... The Rockers. The Rocking Chairs. This is a pretty sweet way to watch the game. Yeah. We're here at the Dell Diamond for the Round Rock Express versus the Corpus Christi Hooks Futures game. We sure are. So pretty cool opportunity to see double A and triple A for the Astros um, on the field. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's been pretty cool. Um, Um, Pretty cool. I'd say it's been very, very cold. We have entered into another. This is our second time Jessica's come from the bleachers with us, and this is the second time when it's been below fifty-three degrees. I mean, this game. is Texas, and it, it's like almost it's April. April. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's April. Yeah, this is crazy. So, um, it's very cold. We're very bundled, but kind of rocking away in the in the outfield is kind of fun. Yeah, it's very minor league because in front of us you have the berm, you have everybody playing. It's like just a good time. But, yeah, it's been very, 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 very fun. These are great seats. So, essentially, what they have is they have out in left field at the Dell Diamond, rather than having just berm seating or bleachers, they've got actual wooden rocking chairs. Yeah. So, not only is it super comfortable to just sort of be able to rock back and forth in the outfield, but like Jim said, we're kind of surrounded by all the kids who are rolling down the down the berm and running back up and rolling back down and <laughs> down running back berm, up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seems like a good way to, to wear the kids out at the baseball game. 
It is hard to tell who to root for in a futures game. It is because they're all our team, right? Yeah. Like we, we like the hooks and the and the express. Yeah, the express scored and oh, they <laughs> threw a wild pitch. <laughs> yeah. So tell us about some of the players out here that you're interested in, Jim. So there are some, you know, obviously I'm a big Astros fan, and so the the Astros are so strong that their minor league systems all the way down are really, really good. And like we talked when we talked to the general manager of the Express at the beginning of the season for our show. They uh, they talked about how like this is a really good express team that could probably win you know fifty or sixty games in the major league. So I thought it was interesting how when Stu from Vacaville was talking about how he doesn't make it out to his minor league team so much anymore now that they're no longer part of his system. Right, right. Um, it kind of changes the dynamic quite a bit for us to to have the express be it, part of the Stros system now it does and i think it, I, I almost feel bad like for me i was like oh my god i'm like loving my experience at the park uh, and i'll get back to your question earlier about who i'm looking forward to coming up but it does kind of change it for me and i think you know we always we, we usually came to at least an express game a year sure yeah um, but i do think there's a lot more rooting interest because i am looking at these guys and looking at how stacked this this team is um but you know to your question Obviously, people are talking about Forrest Whitley. Forrest yeah. Whitley is probably going to be on the Astros staff uh, yeah. by the end of, I think, probably by June. He'll be maybe not in the rotation, but coming out of the bullpen. Jordan Alvarez, who's playing left field right now. Who we've already watched crank a home run has today. already hit one out. Um, and then Kyle Tucker, who I still believe in. I know a lot of people are down on him because of his, you know, he had, I think he had like 60 at-bats and only hit 200 in the in major leagues last year, but right fielder number fifty-five, Brandon Getzman. I think that it does take time, and I think that he, I think he'll be fine. The interesting thing that we're seeing today is that Miles Straw is playing shortstop, and you know Miles Straw is one of the fastest players at all levels of professional baseball, but doesn't fit in the Astros right now because of how crowded the outfield is. And right. so, the idea that he's looking to play shortstop and maybe learn that position. Uh, it seems like a weird position to learn because it seems like it's like maybe the hardest infield position to really play. Right. But if he can do it, it'd be nice to see his speed get up there. Um, but to your other point, yeah, I do think it's more fun to kind of come when, you know, the icon. And I think really what it is, it isn't even just the players on the field. It's the iconography that they've got up, right? Like right. it's not staring the Astros' biggest rival in your face. It's Exactly, yeah. We're now surrounded by the orange and blue. We're now surrounded by the the tequila sunrise and a lot of the different marketing promotions type things. So I think that does help, you know. um, And it is, is, generally speaking, a really fun park. And I think the addition of that new bar really adds to it. It does, it does. And like I said, we're really, really grateful for the respite from the wind and cold for oh, yeah. for just a brief moment. I just got to imagine in August, it's going to be so nice. To have the air conditioning. <laughs> to have the air conditioning. <laughs> so you know. it's multi-purpose. This is why baseball was meant to play, be played indoors, this right, This is Jim? why, yeah. This is why, <laughs> this is why God invented roofs and retractable roofs. Exactly. But, but no, like I, like I said... I know that it shouldn't matter because my whole thesis about why I like minor league baseball is it doesn't matter whether you win or lose. It's how you play the game. Well, I would just say it's different. I would just say it's different. It's a different experience. And um, we care a lot more about the particular players on the field right now probably than we did when it was not in the Astros affiliation. So, 
the other side of it too is you know knock on wood luckily we're in wooding rocking chairs and not that, on bleachers that, that worked that was really good really did you know is the idea that you know if there are, if there have to be any rehab assignments or guys come down it'll be sort of cool to get to drive 45 minutes to come see them play here as opposed right. to you know when they were getting sent to Corpus Christi or obviously Fresno right exactly it would be nice also I think to I think it would be nice also too to have eventually have the Rangers end up with a triple A team in in uh, you know the one in San Antonio and the missions because I think having both state teams could create a, a fun extra level of competition is that the plan or is that just on like it, it some was people something are that about. was rumored last year so the worst kept secret was that the was that the round rock would become the missions I'm sorry that round rock would go back to the Astros and that everybody had hoped and thought that the Rangers would end up going to San Antonio and it just didn't happen I don't know how long the missions um, the missions uh, minor league deal with the Milwaukee Brewers is but mm. I have to think that I have to think that Texas wants to get back to with the Rangers that the Rangers want to get back. Oh, he broke that car window with that foul ball. <laughs> oh, no, I hope it wasn't our car window. <laughs> Remember that game we were at with Shelly, and she laughed every time that happened? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's like, ah! <laughs> it's cute. Yeah, like Shelly. Yeah. <laughs> Shelly will be on the show soon. But it would be nice. I would think, you know, you'd want to have your system as close together. Maybe they'll do a thing like how Round Rock started out as a double-A team. Maybe became a triple-A team. Maybe... One right. of their other system affiliates raises. I don't know if that's possible, but it is interesting with the Brewers. Didn't you tell me that um, the it's the smallest major league market with the largest yeah. minor league market? All right, here comes Straw. All right, All right good that strong throw. Solid. Threw him out. All right. I'm not really supposed to do play-by-play on this thing, according <laughs> to the media guide we did. But you've been waiting for Straw to get a hit I on have game been, to get a ball hit, get a chance to do him. I mean, it was a pretty routine play, but sure. I think if you're talking about can you get a guy up to the major leagues to play at a couple different positions, you're not looking for an all-star shortstop. You're looking for a serviceable shortstop. Yep. Now we're watching a big brother and sister tag team on their middle brother and sister and drag him down the berm. Yep. All of a sudden, we're calling wrestling here at the... Oh, it's all good. He recovered and stood up to dance. And so to that's dance. why we love minor moves. league baseball. <laughs> and that's minor league baseball right there. And he just got taken down again because apparently they think it's Longhorn Spring Practice. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they're all enjoying that, though. They are. Yeah, none of them look miserable. And you know what? Good for the parents to let them tear at, tear at each other. There's a kid literally taking a nap in the middle of the berm. She's got, like, the full blanket over her head and everything. Everything. <laughs> That's kind of hilarious. Tell the, tell the good people all the baseball we're seeing and that we're cramming in the first week of, Ju- of June. First week of June? Is in that Seattle? Seattle. So we're going to see the Mariners play the Astros. Uh-huh. Then we'll see the Rainiers play. Do you know who the Rainiers are playing? I don't. I don't either. And then we fly home. Um, and we're going straight to see the Astros play, right? Play, yeah. Are they? Who are they playing? Are they playing the Mariners? I don't know who they're well, playing. Well, we see them play the Mariners when we take Jordan and Braxton, so yeah. it's a few weeks after. So August. Yeah. Now, yeah. prior to all of this, we are going to a missions game in a few weeks um, yeah. in April, but I don't know that I'm on um, no, from so, the bleachers. You got somebody else coming for the bleachers, yeah? Well, before yeah? that even, from the bleachers will be me and Alicia Rivera. 
from oh, that's right, yeah. my first Astros uh, home game of the year. That's right. I'll and be then, out of town for that one, sorry. Yeah. And then the following, and then after that, Nathan will be back on. We'll be out here, back here at Del Diamond for the home opener of the Express. And then we'll go out to the missions where it'll be Shelly. Yep. And I think that I'm coming back out to the Del Diamond with some of my high school students. That'll be fun. Yeah, it'll be... Uh, just seniors, just your graduating. Three of my very special seniors. We're gonna. I'm taking them out to the ball game. Love it. I might even buy them some peanuts and Cracker Jacks, unless one of them's allergic to peanuts. <laughs> and I'll buy know. none of them. We peanuts. already know one of them's gluten intolerant. We already know so. one of them's gluten intolerant. <laughs> but, so, baby, thank you so much for being out here. Absolutely. And, uh, it's been fun. Yeah, thanks for joining. Love jo- being at the ballpark with you. To the first 10,000 fans, the Let's Get To Promotion of the Week. For our promotional segment today, we're going to be talking about the mother of all baseball promotions. That's right. I'm talking about the bobblehead. Now, a little bit of history. Bobbleheads have actually been around since about the 1800s and were generally, in the time of their original conception, ceramic. In the 1960s, they got really, really popular, not just the connection of baseball, but also, weirdly enough, a series of Beatles bobbleheads got really popular. In baseball, they basically depicted the same sort of baby-looking image in each team's uniform. But eventually, bobbleheads became a lot more than just pictures of people. You could pretty much make a bobblehead depicting just about anything. Their connection with baseball grew steadily since the 1960s. In 1999, in fact, the Giants gave out 20,000 Willie Mays bobbleheads to honor the greatest player in their history. Sorry, Barry. Actually, not sorry, Barry. In pop culture, bobbleheads continue to get more and more popular. In fact, who can remember the bobblehead that Dwight Schrute had on his desk of himself in the office? And this year, most, if not all, of the minor league teams that we're covering are going to be doing a bobblehead night. And so here are a few of them. The Round Rock Express are going to be giving out a Nolan Ryan bobblehead on May 11th. So most of you may know that the Round Rock Express actually share a nickname with Nolan Ryan when he was called the Ryan Express. One of the other cool things that Round Rock does is they do a Texas Legends bobblehead. So they've given out a Willie Nelson bobblehead before, an Andy Roddick, and this year on August 9th, they're going to be giving out a bobblehead depicting one of the coolest Texans of all time. Mr. Matthew McConaughey. His bobblehead will depict him in his tuxedo getting his Academy Award. And to that, all we can say is, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> now, there's another team that's given out a bobblehead that we're going to talk about, and it's one that Wooderson from Days and Confused would absolutely love, and that is the Rocky Mountain Vibes. Seriously, if you haven't seen their logo, go look it up because it is amazing. And on July 14th, you're going to want to get to the stadium to get your Charlie Brown bobblehead. And I hope you get it before Lucy yanks it out from under you. The Sugarland Skeeters are going to welcome winter to Constellation Field in Texas when they put manager Pete Incavilia on a Game of Thrones bobblehead. So now we have a bobblehead depicting baseball being mixed with the bobblehead from pop culture. Mind blown. The Rubble Ponies will be doing a Tim Tebow bobblehead. And one of my favorite designs so far will be the Wilmington Blue Rocks White Goodman from Dodgeball bobblehead. It looks crazy good. So definitely look up and see what bobbleheads are coming to a minor league team near you. And there's even a bobblehead hall of fame. And we'll put a link to that in the description of this episode.
One of the fun parts of this podcast is being able to meet up with really cool people that are part of the fabric of the game of baseball. And one of the absolutely coolest is when we got to interview Bobby Dynamite Vasquez before the baseball season started. So if anybody's been to Minute Maid Park, we all know that when the Astros offense is on track, eh, track, we know it by the big train in the outfield. Anytime the Astros win or score a run, we can count on the whistle to blowing. And anytime we get a homer, the big train engine drives across the tracks in left field. And if it's a full capacity crowd like it's been for the last two or three years, 40,000 sets of eyeballs focus on Bobby Dynamite, the driver of the Astros train. And so with the Astros home opener being tomorrow, we thought today would be a great time to drop an interview we did with him a few weeks ago. An internship in 2000 with the Houston Astros in their brand new downtown ballpark put Bobby Vasquez on track, again with the track, as one of the team's most well-known personalities. On game days, Bobby dons his signature overalls and Astros cap and becomes Bobby Dynamite, the driver of the Astros home run train. Bobby was given the role of train conductor just before the start of the 2001 season and has been a fixture at Minute Maid Park ever since. As he starts his 19th year on the train, Bobby has been a participant in six Astros postseason appearances, including the year they won the World Series in 2017. And yes, we talk about Alex Bregman's walk-off and Jeff Kent's rocket. Bobby, a native of Deer Park, lives in the community with his fiancée Jackie, their dog Gus, their cat George, and an army of Astros bobbleheads at his disposal. Bobby, thanks so much for joining. Let's get to. Let's go. So you have... I got to think the let's just be honest, the coolest job in Austin. I'm sorry. You have the coolest job in Houston as I know. Right. So let's hey, be honest. It's the coolest job in Texas. You have the coolest, the coolest. Yeah, you have the coolest <laughs> job in Texas. Um, so how did you, how'd you get into baseball in the first place? And then how does one end up being the driver of the train? Uh, you know, as far as uh, how, how I got into the game, you know, my dad was not that big of a baseball fan, but I have a, uh, my my godfather and and some cousins who you know just just lived and breathed baseball and every time uh, they, they're from Corpus Christi and every time they would come up and and visit us here in Houston uh, they'd always take me to to an Astros game so uh, you know that's you know they they shared the game with me they taught me the game and you know I was never the most uh, athletic guy you know around so I learned to you know be a fan and and just uh, you know, watch watch all the little intricacies of the game. You know, uh, watch where the second baseman positions himself. Uh, you know, with the runner on on first, and maybe there's a fastball coming. You know, things like that. Wow! Just, wow! Just yeah! Yeah! Everything. Yeah. So all of that I, I got exposed to as a really at a really young age, and then uh, so I was an Astros fan all my life. Uh, then in uh, 2000, I applied for an internship with the Astros and was assigned to the, uh, I got it. I was assigned to the tour department and that was our very first year at, at Minute Maid Park. Uh, back then it was called Enron Field. Right. And hey, talk about a sketchy part of Houston history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, Oh, let's look, let's, uh, sweep that one under the rug. <laughs> right. Bit. But yeah. But anyway, uh, I got to, I got to, uh, the Astros in 2000 in, in their tour department and, my uh, supervisor, a uh, guy by the name of Michael Kenny, he was the guy that drove the train the very first year the team was uh, in downtown. And he used to, uh, he, when we were in the Dome, 
he was known as general admission. He would sit in the center field stands and he would shoot a cannon whenever the Astros would hit a home run. So I think he was like, you know, baseball's only 86 star general or something like that. He got a little star every time the Astros hit a home run. So that was always cool. But anyway, right. yeah. So Michael, Michael was the train guy the first year. And then, uh, so he was the train guy and the tour manager. He took a promotion within the team. So he's actually today like the uh, senior director of customer service or, or something like that, a pretty, pretty cool gig. And they needed somebody else to drive the train. I, you know, raised my hand and figured, you know, give it a shot. And now, uh, I'm what, uh, about 10, 15 days away from my 19th opening day wow. with the Astros up on the train. So you have, you know, and, and like, again, I'll remind the audience this, this is not designed to be my Astros fan podcast, but you know what, for the <laughs> next, for the next 10 minutes it is. Um, so, you know, obviously I think we're, if I were to guess, we're probably roughly around the same age. So we lived through, some painful stuff, but you have really seen the some of the best moments in Astros history. The first World Series, the first World Series mm-hmm. win. How are those moments? Like you're a fan, and then you also have a job to do. And how do you split the difference, or do you even have to? You know, so, uh, I'll tell you this. Um, uh, you know, there, there's that saying: sometimes you've got to hit rock bottom to. Uh, to get to the top of the world. And, you know, obviously some, some years were easier than others. And uh, some years were definitely uh, really tough to be up there on the train, but yeah, I mean, you're right. Uh, I remember the heartbreak in 86. Uh, yeah. Um, that was the first know. time when I realized, Oh, baseball kind of sucks sometimes. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, it, it's not always designed to go your way. Uh, <laughs> right. And, but, you know, and, you know, and the funny thing, and kind of going off on a little tangent here, you know, that, that's, that's the cool thing about baseball is uh, there's always tomorrow. And then when you hit a moment like that, it's like all of a sudden there isn't, there's no tomorrow. <laughs> right. You know, and so, that, and that's, I think what really makes it hurt is because you, you go into every day with so much optimism in baseball because it's a, it's a new day. And then, you know, when you, when you get that far, like we did in 86, uh, and, you know, uh, 97, 98, 99, 2001, 2004, 2005, 2015, and even in the, the, the playoff teams in the early 80s. Right. Uh, you know, all of a sudden there was no tomorrow. But, yeah, um, back to your, your original question. You know, it's uh, – I, I think one of the cool things about what I get to do is uh, I was already a fan when I, you know, uh, first became – you know, uh, when, when I, when I was first hired with the Astros. Sure. And so I get to now get paid to cheer for the Astros, you know, <laughs> I mean, right. like, how, how, how awesome is that? It's like, so you're, you're paying me to do something that I already love to do, you know, cause the Astros are my ride and die, ride or die. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Know, absolutely. I don't know how to root for another team. I don't have, you know, like, do, do I like players on other teams? Yeah. Things, you know, uh, social media and everything's brought, uh, has definitely made the game uh, and its and its uh, superstars so much more accessible. But you know, I'm, no matter what, it's it, for me. It's the Astros. So to get to do that is is uh, it's it's pretty special. Yeah, it's funny because I'm the same way, and I think baseball is weird too because I can appreciate other teams more readily than 
say I'm, – I'm, I'm a graduate of the University of Texas, right? So there's no mm-hmm. way anybody that's ever played for the A&M has ever been any good. But like Ichiro retired at the time of this. So you, you got to stop and reflect Ichiro had a great career. But mm-hmm. I, I interviewed um, – She'll be on our episode next week. She is the one of the play-by-play for the Salem Red Sox, and she's she grew up a Braves fan. And for a second, I got really mm-hmm. mad at her. <laughs> and I got to remember, okay, like I can't be mad at her. It's not her fault that, you know, the Astros ran into that buzzsaw three years in a row. Like, mm-hmm. so you're right. You you never let it go. You've obviously. So, what are some of your favorite moments that you've lived through with the Strohs? Oh man. Uh there's just so many to count. I mean, you know, there, there's the obvious ones of, uh, of game five, oh, uh, man, game, <laughs> somebody, uh, I think it was, uh, MLB on Fox, uh, tweeted the other day, you know, what's the, what's the base, uh, best baseball movie of all time. And I tweeted back, you know, 2017 world series game five. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and cause I mean, it, it had everything, you know, it had the, the drama, the, 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 the work, the, everything that, you know, having, having to pick yourself back up. And, you know, I mean, it was definitely, you know, uh, a, uh, four or five hour long Rocky movie condensed into a baseball game. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, coming back after the, the Harvey floods is something that I'm always going to remember. Uh, we played a double header, our first game back in Houston, after the floods against the Mets. Yeah. And, you know, it wasn't a big crowd. I think we had, you know, 25, 30,000 people there. And uh, it, w- it was just nice to be able to uh, show, show our fans that, Hey, we're still here. And uh, you know, we have uh, Houston on the front of our jerseys uh, representing, you know, everybody here. And, we have, you know, the the big H on our caps to represent all of y'all here, and that, uh, you know, the you know the rest of the season, uh, you know, I think our whole organization, uh, from you know top all the way to to, to the bottom, to me, <laughs> you know, we everything we did, you know, we did with uh, the city of Houston in mind. So coming back after the Harvey floods was really cool. Yeah, my brother and I actually I actually drove in and we were at both those games and. Um, because I just wanted to to be, you know, again, I grew up here or grew up in Houston, mm-hmm. but and my dad was also HPD for the longest time. And, you know, I got to do a shout out, but I thought the Mets were all class and the way they went and helped take care of the the first responders while they were here. You know, and, and, and that's a team that's, they're only here once every few years, you know, with the way uh, MLB does its scheduling now and, you know, us being in, in the American League and, and, and them in the National League. I mean, that's our sister club. You know, we, we both, uh, broke into uh, Major League Baseball in, in in 1962, and you know for them to uh, accommodate uh, you know a, a, a needed change in the schedule so that way our team could be here and come be with their families, and then uh, the way uh, both of our organizations you know went out into the community and you know just uh, whether it was shaking hands or helping distribute you know needed goods things like that. Uh, I think it says a lot for uh, not just uh, who these organizations are, but the people uh, who are the uh, the the faces and the 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 feet on the ground of these organizations. So it was it was really neat to see what uh, the New York Mets did when they were down here. And I think AJ uh, 
AJ Hinch, our manager, when uh, he gave a little uh, talk right before first pitch of that first game, you know, he, he, uh, he thanked them. And, you know, that was, that was really touching. It was uh, for the Mets to extend that kind of, that kind of help to the city of Houston. So let's just run through real quick, a couple of high moments. Yes, you were. So you were there for Biggio's 3000th hit. <laughs> yes, that was, uh, that was something else. Um, I told my brother actually randomly got tickets to that game. He had, he and some friends, uh, had got a, 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 uh, they took a group out there and, you know, he texted me that morning. He's like, Oh my gosh, he's so close and we're going to miss it. Cause I think Benj needed like five hits, uh, five hits uh, going into that ball game. And I told him, no, 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 he's, he's going to do it. He's going to do it tonight. And Holy smokes, he did it, <laughs> and it was one of the most incredible. Yeah, the, yeah, I, I'd add that Biggio three thousand uh, hit to the to that list of what we were talking about a moment ago, as far as great moments. The Jeff Kent home run. Oh uh, yes, that was the Jeff Kent home run. Okay, so funny story. Uh, I've only experienced this twice in my entire career with the Astros. Uh, when J.K. hit that home run, I can literally see the 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 concrete in Minute Maid Park shaking. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. I was like, this is, this is it. This is, you know, I think I was, uh, uh, 26 years old at that time. So I was like, wow, you know, 26 years, we had a good run. This is, this is how it's going to go down for me. This is the end. <laughs> but, but, but a lot of people forget about that. Jeff Kent, that Jeff Kent game is that, uh, uh, Brandon Backey and Woody Williams were the, were the two starting pitchers. Backey took a no hitter into the seventh inning. Uh, Tony Womack, uh, got a single off of him in that inning. And then uh, Woody Williams, I think, had a one-hitter. It was like a Jeff Bagwell single in like the first or second Yeah, inning. yeah, yeah. And I was like – and then you had two of the best closers at that time in Jason Isringhausen and Brad Lidge, you know, uh, shoring up the gains uh, at, at the end. So that that was something else, um, that that uh, that game. And then to, to cap it with that three-run home run. right. That was, was a laser beam. That was, that was a laser the, beam. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I think the the whole crowd knew it was gone the moment it left uh, Isringhausen's hand. Yeah. So I guess let me ask you this then: Who is more haunted by Pujols's home run, you or Brad Lidge? Because I got to imagine. <laughs> uh, you know, I had a front row seat for it, but uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Brad, if you ever listen to this, I love you, buddy, but you're the you're the one that took the fall for it. So I'm going to go with Brad Lidge. Right. Absolutely. So. <laughs> so what do you look forward to most like in a baseball season? I mean, you obviously know that there'll be special moments. And right now we are looking at, you know, it's been fun because I've spoken to the GM of the Express and mm-hmm. the, G, the GM of the Fayetteville Woodpeckers. And they all say the same thing, right? Like in minor league baseball we have to worry about what's outside the lines. But in this particular instance, we know that we're going to have five levels of Astros teams that are going to be mm-hmm. great. So what, what are you looking forward to most this season kind of going forward? Man, uh, I just, just want to get to the, to March 28th and get the season started. You know, we've got two exhibition games on Monday and Tuesday here at Minute Maid Park in Houston. Uh, with the Pittsburgh Pirates, and then we fly back to Florida and get things going with the Rays. And I think it's just getting it going. And, uh, you know, I feel like we know we're in a really good spot right now and uh, just don't just don't want to 
lose sight of uh, where we've been and what it takes to get there. And, you know, the only way you, you know, you really go and do that is by playing, you know, playing those games out and, and doing everything that we can to win. I kind of sound like, you know, the, the regular baseball cliches there, but, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> take it one game at a time, play within yourself. Yeah. I I did a Craig Biggio interview there. That's really but, what it is. Yeah. But really that's, uh, it, it's funny because, you know, baseball cliches are true. You know, it's uh, it's a long, long season and, you know, we we uh, we can't win it all until uh, we win the first. <laughs> well, we're dropping this interview uh, on the day of the home opener. I'll be there the second game of the series. So oh, wow. we're looking forward to it. Um, I do have one suggestion. Mm-hmm. We got to paint the train, though. I, I <laughs> like like it's 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 weird that it's still the the black and the brick because I feel like that was the period where the Astros dressed like a sitcom version of a baseball team. <laughs> well, you know, uh, we I, I hear that a lot. Paint the train, paint the train. And you know, the funny thing is, is it's not uh, as easy as going up there and you know spray painting it and and giving it the the whole new look. Uh, you know, there's a lot of. Um, uh, I think it honestly, it would take a a a very very long time to to get that train looking the way I think a lot of fans want it, but. Uh, you know, the way I see it is uh, they know uh, they know it's up there. They know what it's there for. And right. they know no matter what color it is, uh, it's only going to do good things when the Astros do good things. So, Well, we are <laughs> so excited about this season, Bobby. We are going to put – you're one of the – you're also just one of the best baseball follows on Twitter. So we're going to have uh, your, oh, you. <laughs> your Twitter follow stuff in here. And, uh, you know, uh, thanks again, Bobby, for joining Let's Get To. Hey man, thanks so very much for having having me. Uh, it's it's been great, and you know, just looking forward to uh, what the season brings, and hopefully, uh, we've got something good to talk about at the end of October. On deck, the let's get to interview of the week, brought to you by Fine Line Sportswear. So we are really excited to welcome Andy Milovich. He is the president and general manager of the AA Frisco Rough Riders. They're in Frisco, Texas, outside of Dallas, and they are the AA affiliate of the Texas Rangers. And then previously, he was the president of the Myrtle Beach Pelicans, which is honestly one of my favorite minor league teams, period. Andy was named the Riders president and general manager on May 29, 2018, after serving as the vice president and GM for the Myrtle Beach Pelicans from 2013 to 2018. Milovich was the recipient of the Sporting News Minor League Executive of the Year during the 1997 season. Andy resides in Frisco with his wife Cher and his daughters Addison Eileen and Dylan Stone. The South Bend, Indiana native graduated from Valparaiso University where he obtained a BS in both business administration and sports management. And he was a four-year member of the men's baseball team. So again, help me welcome the general manager of the Texas Rangers AA affiliate Frisco Rough Riders, Andy Milovich. All right, so hi, Andy, and welcome to the show. Thanks, James. Um, so just let's start off. Like, how did you get into baseball, and, and how did you end up being, you know, the GM and the president of the Frisco Rough Riders? Well, I, I got into baseball um... – uh, I, I guess because my entire life has kind of revolved around baseball. Probably my dad started coaching when he was 18, which was four years before I was born. And um, so I grew up being dragged to uh, a little league field and grew up playing baseball and was fortunate to play through high school and through college. And 
it became pretty apparent uh, it, at that point that my, my professional aspirations were not going to be realized. And um, I started looking for ways to, to stay in the game. And um, somebody had mentioned minor league baseball and sports management is a, is a track. And so I majored in sports management business, got my master's degree, did a couple of internships and, and got started from there. The Frisco Rough Riders are the AA affiliate for the Texas Rangers. So how, as a minor league GM, how, how much direct involvement do you have with the parent club versus how much autonomy do you have to run your franchise? So uh, probably the easiest way to describe it, which, which maybe oversimplifies it a bit, is um, we operate like a, a movie theater. Um, we, we run the, the building. We take care of the maintenance of it, the cleanup of it. Uh, we're in charge of the popcorn, the peanuts, the hot dogs, um, all the sales and the marketing and the advertising and the tickets. But when it comes to the on-field stuff, our players are under contract with the Texas Rangers in our case or whoever your major league affiliate might be. And um, so the coaches and the players and the rosters are put together by somebody else. And when it comes to determining who's going to play and who, who gets time and, and, and so forth, we don't. We don't affect any of that. We do try to um, uh, play as active of a role as we can to make sure that um, the, the player development experiences of the Rangers are met and that we're providing the best possible player development uh, uh, opportunity for them. And um, so, so when it comes to the uniforms, taking care of the clubhouse, paying the umpires, um, uh, we share bat and ball expense with the major league club. But, but the travel, the hotels, and, and, and taking care of the field and making sure that everything they have they, that they want, they get, we take care of all that. But the, the on-field product itself is, is handled by our big league uh, affiliate. So then, so obviously, you, like, you'll know who will be on the Rough Riders some, sometime around mid-March, I'm assuming, when the, the rosters. Do you have an idea who might be on them now? And so how do you function, like, from October to February – what are, what are you spending time doing? So, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get a pretty good idea in March of, of who's on the roster, but they won't give us a final roster really until the day before they get on a plane to come. Um, and and it's, it's not that, um, that they're afraid of us knowing. It's that injuries and things happen at the big league level, and that affects what the rest of the roster makeup looks like throughout the farm system. So you, you, you might have somebody go down or somebody come back or there's a somebody was released by another club and you signed them and, and that could push somebody down. So they don't they're really careful to make sure that the players are not told where they're going until they know they are going there. They don't want somebody to think they're starting out in triple A and they end up in double A or uh, they're going to start here and end up down lower. And so they. they They'll give us a block of names and say your 25 guys will come from this list of 35 or so. Um, and that allows us to kind of prepare programs and the different materials we need for media guides and things like that. But then um, we'll find out a day or two before they actually get here who specifically is coming. Um, so it's a, it, it's a little bit of a unique thing, but it's, it's why you don't see minor league teams heavily promoting specific players the quality of their team and so forth, because it literally can change overnight and your player can move up, be traded, released. And uh, so our focus tends to really be on the fan experience, how we connect with our community 
how you create those memorable emotional uh, events at your ballpark that connect with your fans on, a, on an emotional level. So, you know, fireworks nights and, and thirsty Thursdays and um, different giveaways and all kinds of different promotions and stuff become the, the thing that we focus most on. And then the ballpark experience, the, the food and beverage, the, the video board, the entertainment between games and that overall kind of guest experience is where the bulk of our energy and our, and our marketing and promotional push happens. Uh, yeah, I definitely want to get into the fan experience for in a, in a, in a, in a second, because like I said, I've been going to to Dr. Pepper field for a few years. And last year I decided to rank all the MILB stadiums I was in and you guys came in number two. So congratulations. And I beat us. The Columbus Clippers up in Columbus, Ohio, they got a great park. Um, But it it was actually, I had a surreal moment because I'm a vet. And so when the flag's happening, I salute the flag and I had looked up, you know, from the flag to the video board. And I said, oh, that's nice. Someone's saluting the flag. And I realized it was me. (laughs) Can you talk a little bit about the challenges that most minor league players face? Because I think everybody assumes, oh, you play pro ball. You're obviously a millionaire. Yeah, it's, um, look, the the minor league kind of lifestyle is a a challenging one. It's not easy on, on the players, on the coaches, on the player development staff or, well, frankly, the, the people in the front office, um, fortunately, I don't have to ride a bus uh, six, eight, ten hours um, from one city to the next like like the players do. But, you know, we'll get into the office at, at 830 in the morning and on a game night you leave at 11. Well, if you have a seven-game homestand, that doesn't allow much for family time. Yeah. And for the players, it's it's that and then some. So, you know, at least they go on the road and we get a chance to regroup and kind of get back to normal office hours. But the players' um, contracts and the way it's structured, there's um, the pay isn't isn't great. Um, the the hours are long, and and you're sharing a hotel room with somebody traveling on the road. And I think they're guaranteed an off day every 21 days, and um, you, you have to get a waiver to uh, have a bus trip longer than 500 miles the day before a game um, that would require an off day, but. You you spend you know drive four hundred four hundred fifty miles on a bus and and get into a town at six in the morning and you got to play a game that night and you play three days there before you get back on that bus and 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 leave at midnight to hit the road again and pull back into Frisco at seven a.m. and you've got a home game uh, this afternoon. It is a really really tough grind for these guys. So they'll play one hundred and forty games in about one hundred and fifty four days. Uh, and that's on the heels of six days of spring training in the Arizona sun. And uh, it's not just show up and play the game. These guys will generally get to the park depending on the day for their workouts and, and some of the, the weight training and, and fitness kind of stuff they're focused on in the mornings. Um, or they'll have early work with a rover where the infield coordinators in town or the outfield rover. And they're bringing these guys in to work on the specific things they need to work on. They'll arrive. Uh, they'll do that stuff between ten and two, and then two o'clock's when people arrive for for a game day. So they'll they'll show up and have BP and their infield work and all that stuff, and play a game at seven. And they'll leave here at eleven o'clock at night and get up in the morning and do the same thing. So it is a, a really really tough kind of a grind to be away from your family, your friends, and everyone you know for six plus months and um, spend a, a good chunk of that in hotel rooms. 
sharing uh, apartments with with two three guys and and riding buses all around uh, the Southwest. So it's a, it's it's an interesting lifestyle, but you know it, it's one that I don't think most of these guys would trade because they've got a shot for the big leagues and they're they're pursuing their dreams. So it's uh it's a it's a challenge and a grind, but it's it's one I think most of them really embrace and and want to be a part of. I think that's the aspect of it that I love the most. That there's there's not a whole lot of room for entitlement when you're watching. I mean, I'm an independent filmmaker, which means I'm not making money either. So I get. Yeah. And you know, it, it, it's interesting. So the, the, one of the real challenges kind of from a, a, the coaching staff and the player development people. And, and I think you see it less at the double a level. Cause these guys have been in it for a few years, but you know, I, I was in Myrtle beach and, and with the high a club there for um, the last six years and go Pelicans. Yeah. Um, what, what a great, great ballpark and great town. Um, they, there's years where you have three or four players that are first round picks, supplemental first round picks, guys assigned for a million to $2 million signing bonus. They might be making the same 12 to $1,400 a month that the other guys on the team make. The salaries are pretty much set, but you got a $2 million signing bonus and you're playing alongside sharing a room with a guy who got a $500 signing bonus. So there is a lot of, uh, difference in terms of uh, where people are uh, are at financially, where they're from in the world. And, you know, we've had, I think the team I had a couple of years ago, Myrtle Beach, we had people from 11 different countries on the team. And so it's a, it's a really unique experience. It's a really incredible uh, opportunity, but it is a real challenge as well for these guys to do the work they need to do day in and day out and kind of look at it through the, through two separate prisms. On one hand, you're a part of a team. That's all you've ever known your whole life. You're connected to these guys in the clubhouse and you're going out 140 times and, and just trying to embrace the grind of, of a baseball season. Right. And on the other hand, if your team's not very good, it, it, it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, you're, you're, you're playing for yourself and your career and your big league opportunity. So you, you still got to be up. You still got to be dialed in. You still got to be connected, committed to the process. And uh, I think uh, it, it really creates a unique scenario where you're playing for yourself, but but all you've ever known is the team, and and, and that is an important part of the development process. So it's uh, it's a really unique situation, but a fun thing to to be a part of and watch play out every year. Let's say Frisco's about to head into the playoffs for the Texas League Championship, but it's September call-up time. Does the big club do they are they respectful of that? Do they or or are they are they still looking at? We want to get big league action for some of their future stars. You, you will hear kind of repeatedly from player development people um, that uh, uh, it, it's not about winning. It's about player development. Now, the farm systems that are really good, and I think the organizations that do it the right way, uh, they, they look at it and they believe that winning is a part of developing that, that culture um, and um, in, in developing the athletes. You know, some teams and organizations – really get that aspect of it. Um, the teams who are, are pretty depleted and don't have the depth, uh, you, you won't hear them say things like winning is a part of development. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I think there's a, a balance. They don't want to uh, – they're not going to jeopardize a player's health or um, his progression towards the big leagues to try to win a, a Carolina League or a Texas League championship. But they do want to win, and they do take pride in it. And um, so if 
if if we're in the playoffs postseason and they have some guys that that they have the ability to to move up um, for the playoffs, who's who maybe at the level below you didn't make the postseason, they can get a few more at bats and, and put a uh, a prospect um, in a situation where they can see how he performs with that additional level of pressure. They will do that. It helps the prospect. It helps the team, and hopefully, it helps them win. Um, you also can at times find yourself in a situation, and I've seen it a couple of different times, uh, uh, where where big league guys get sent down if they're uh, injured and on a rehab, and uh, you, you've got a major leaguer playing in your lineup in the postseason um, for a couple of days, which tends to really rankle the opposing team. But um, unfortunately depending on when you're injured and when you need your rehabs, there's no other place to go and get your bats to get back into a rhythm before you can get to the big league club. So, um, you know, I know we were really excited a few years ago to see Jorge Soler lining up in right field and hitting third for us in the postseason. And he was surprisingly uh, as excited as anybody when we won the championship and he found out he was going to get a ring. So um, <laughs> it, uh, it, it is interesting. And, and it's, I wouldn't say it's their primary focus, but they, they do try to get you over the hump if they can. Well, you mentioned uh, earlier about community, and that's, I think, what I love the most about minor league baseball. You know, like I said, been up to Frisco several times, and I just love it. You guys are, are really known for lots of cool promotions and giveaways. How do you come up with some of the ideas? Have you had a personal favorite from years past, and what fun ones are you coming up with this year? Uh, you know, I ended up in baseball because the only two things I ever really cared about were baseball and having a good time. And right. it turns out that having a good time isn't exactly the best thing for your player to, for your development as, a, as an athlete. But uh, um, everybody that works in this industry is a fan first. We, we got into it because we love the game and we love the, the promotions and, and everything about it. So there's a real competitive nature to, um, you know, coming up with promotions and, and trying to uh, find things that are going to move the needle. And um, it usually is a, a total team effort. Um, being new to Frisco this past year, we actually, um, it, it's such a large staff, finding a way to, to uh, get everybody involved in the process was really important to me. And, and they hadn't participated in, in the development of the promotional schedule in the past. So we actually held a, a pitch day. Um, it was basically Shark Tank. We randomly drew teams of four from our staff. So our finance director might have been paired with our receptionist and our corporate salesperson and groundskeeper. And they had to meet and develop promotional ideas um, and pitch them to a panel of judges, which included myself, a couple of members of our ownership group, and um, Ryan Moore, who is our, our GM in Myrtle Beach that took over for me. And it was great. What we asked them to do, and, and I think this is the – the sweet spot for a promotion is does it sell tickets? Uh, does it does it uh, tie in corporate partners? Does it connect with the community? And does it create water cooler buzz? Does it create uh, you know real excitement in the community and get people talking? And um, so I, when I think about the ones that did those things in the past, um, and there there have been some really fun creative ones. Um, and now with social media, it's like you need something to go viral and something to, to take off. Probably the, the, the biggest one along those lines that I've been a part of was um, 
a, a very, very public uh, prostate exam I took while singing Take Me Out to the Ball Game during the seventh <laughs> inning stretch on Men's Health <laughs> Awareness Night. Is there is there video of this somewhere? I hope. Yeah, yeah. I think if, if so, if you type my name into Google, it will auto populate, and the first option will be prostate. So, um, um, and you know, it, it's interesting, kind of how some of them come about because it's always different. But I, I was doing a radio show locally on WRNN in, in Myrtle Beach, and we were talking about the games and what was coming up, and they said, "Oh, and next week you have Men's Health Awareness Night on Thursday." Uh, tell us about that. What is going to be involved? Are you going to get like a prostate exam at home plate? And I kind of started laughing and I said, no, no, I think Katie Couric already beat me to that punch. Um, and uh, it turns out, I think she had a colonoscopy on, on TV back 20 years ago when her husband had passed. And, um, when I got back to the office, everybody in the staff said, you've got to do it. You've got to do it. And I was like, I, I'm not going to do it just for the sake of doing it. Um, I'm, I'm open to it, but you guys really need to think through kind of how this is executed. And, and we we're known in Myrtle beach, especially as an industry as a whole, we are, but, but, but particularly in Myrtle beach because of the edgy kind of, uh, vibe of that town and the vacation destination that it is for, for really pushing the envelope. And, um, I said, and what I've been told our staff repeatedly is, if you're going to push it and if you think that there's a line that you may come close to either touching or crossing, you better have a charitable kind of community tie-in that that keeps you above the criticism. And, um, so when I, when I got to to Myrtle beach, um, my, uh, my, my wife is a personal trainer. She started training a, a woman that she had met. Um, and, uh, this woman is, incredible. And, and Melanie lived a, a hard, fast kind of life. She, she was a partier and my, that's not my wife. She's not. And so my wife's trying to break her of these habits. And, uh, um, she, she wound up, um, starting to train with my wife and, and, you know, had, had missed a couple of sessions, uh, uh, initial appointments and consultations. And, um, for whatever reason, my wife uh, said, okay, I'll look the other way. I, I know you need to get together with me. We'll, we'll meet we'll, uh, and started training her, which my wife normally would just say, all right, you missed your initial consultation. I'm not the trainer for you. You're out. Like she's got a drill sergeant's approach to how you're supposed to handle your fitness and responsibilities right. and commitments to yourself, right? And um, she decided uh, – uh, probably because we were new to town and she didn't have a ton of clients yet that she was going to train Melanie. Well, Melanie just flipped the switch. She stopped partying. She got dialed into nutrition. She was working out four days a week. And in, in literally three months, Melanie had dropped 40 pounds and had a ripped six pack and was just in unbelievable shape. Um, and um, it was a couple of months after that um, that she texted my wife um and, and her daughter Fallon, she was a single mom, had two daughters, and uh, she had a ten-year-old and uh, about a two-year-old at the time. And the ten-year-old was having some seizures and some issues, and they thought it was epilepsy. And she had texted my wife and said, um, I, "I'm at MUSC. The seizures didn't stop with the medications, and I just found out that she has glioblastoma." Uh, which is a, a brain, the brain disease that uh, the cancer that um, that John McCain had, 
and she oh. said, I'm shaking. I can't talk. Um, I, I, you're the first person I reached out to. I, I, I just can't believe it. And um, she said, you know, my friends have been asking me since I started training with you why I'm doing this, why I'm doing this. And uh, and I kept saying, for me, for me, for me. And they, they keep waiting for me to come back and start partying with them. And, and, I, and I insisted I wasn't going to start partying because this was too important and I was doing it for me. And now, now I understand why. You were preparing me so that I'd have the strength to handle this with my daughters. And um, so it, that personal connection um, to Fallon, who really became a hero throughout the community as the community rallied around her and trying to help raise money for her, led to a promotion that we were going to do a couple of weeks later, which was part of our Strikeout Cancer series. And it was uh, Coaches versus Cancer, and we were raising money to help uh, Melanie uh, and, and Fallon with their expenses. So at the end of the day, the staff came back and said, Hey, um, here's our idea. Um, we're going to, we're going to promote this. If we get talent from, I think it was 5,600 Facebook likes to 10,000, that'll mm-hmm. help us drive our promotional day to help her. And if we get to 10,000 by next Thursday, you will get a prostate exam while singing, take me out to the ball game during the seventh inning stretch. So that was Friday afternoon. I said, okay, that's five days away. Seems like a long shot, but all right, I'm in. So the next morning they sent out a press release. And uh, Saturday night, Darren Ravel tweeted about it. I went home um, and I started getting text messages from friends that followed uh, Ravel on Twitter um, saying, you're you're in trouble. So the next morning I'm making breakfast and we've got a ball game. And um, my kids are making eggs and I get a direct message. I responded uh, with my cell phone to Darren Ravel. Um, then I got a phone call, and, and I had my wife take over uh, at the stove. And I said, I got to take this call. And she immediately assumed it was my boss, right, calling me on a Sunday morning. And she said, can't you just wait and talk to him when you get into work? It's bad enough you're leaving to go to work on a Sunday at 10 a.m. Um, you know, can you finish breakfast with us? So I was out in the driveway for about 20 minutes talking to Ravel. I came in, my wife was hot. So your breakfast is over there. It's cold. And, uh, <laughs> so I heated it up and I sat down at the table and i and of course we have sports center on cause it's Sunday morning. And, uh, sure enough, five minutes later, Ravel's on TV and he's talking about my prostate exam. And my wife turned and looked at me and I said, yeah, that wasn't Chuck on the phone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and in the next four days, I did interviews all over the country with radio stations, television stations, newspapers. Um, uh, and, and needless to say, um, she got to 10,000. I was doing an interview on the Mighty 1090 out of San Diego. Uh, the, the interviewer asked me if I knew Dave Oster, um, who was one of my best friends and runs, uh, was running the Lake Elsinore Storm at the time. And she, he said, um, I said, yeah, yeah. He, I, actually, he just texted me. He said, if you can get her to 11,000, he, he's in as well. And they assumed I was just giving him a hard time, but Dave was actually listening and did text me that. And about 30 seconds later, the host said, he just texted me, and he says he's in. Well, then a guy in Charleston, South Carolina, said, get her to 12,000, I'll do it. The guy in Erie said, get her to 13, I'll do it. Some guys in hockey did it, and it, it just – it became a wild, crazy thing. Um, and you know, it, I, I will say this, it is the most, it's the first prostate exam I've ever had. Uh, there's, 
there's there's it's the most random kind of bizarre scenario you could imagine. Uh, I don't know how old you are if you've had one yet, but it's I, I had one uh, when when you leave the military you have to have one. So yeah, I did. It's it's like an eight second deal, um, and and somehow like once the you know I was caught up in the distraction of it because there's a guy behind me and I'm in a press box leaning over a counter, <laughs> but that, then when I was no longer distracted. Now I'm looking out at 6,600 people on a sold-out standing room only crowd on a Thursday night on Dollar Beer Night who are all turning around staring at me, and I no longer am distracted. But I got to finish the song, um, and your pants are down. And you're like, "There's my sponsor. There's my owner. There's my staff. There's my drinking buddies." And um, it somehow it got weirder. Um, but but I will say this: it the the, the reaction was amazing. Um, I got phone calls, emails, and, and people on the concourse stopping me um, that entire night and, and the rest of the season saying, you definitely saved somebody's life today. There's, uh, I'm a, I'm a nine-year survivor, or I lost my father to prostate cancer, and you have no idea how much this means to me. And, and what we said at the beginning was if one child has an opportunity to play catch with their father as a result of me taking the stigma away, then we've, we've impacted the world. And more importantly to me personally was the impact we had on Fallon, uh, who 10 days later on Coaches versus Cancer Night, after we presented her mom with a nice check, said, Mom, today was the greatest day of my life. And, um, you know, that little girl's still battling on. She's in high school now. She outlived her uh, prognosis and, and forecast um, by threefold. And she's thriving. And, and to know that we played a part in the community rallying around behind this girl and made a difference from an awareness standpoint is really what it's what it's all about. Well, I can't I'm completely speechless. That is about one of the most uh, amazing stories I've ever heard. That's fantastic. And um, believe me, I cannot go anywhere and speak without them introducing me as this is the guy who got a prostate exam. It will be on my tombstone. It'll be the first line in my obituary, I'm sure. Um, so hopefully someday I'll come up with something bigger. <laughs> I, I, you know what? You sound like a pretty impressive guy. I'm sure you will. <laughs> but uh, it, it, has, uh, it, it has become something that I am now known for forever, I think, so. Um, I guess so, you know, to kind of wrap things up then, just in general, people come out to Frisco, they're going to go see the Rough Riders, they're not going to go look at Jerry's complex out there. What do you hope people get away from a Rough Riders game this year? How do you want them to feel coming out? Well, I, I think, you know, minor league baseball is unique in that it kind of is is all things to all people. When When people kind of ask us, who's your demo? I mean, families and kids are our sweet spot. But we have 22 suites, and there's there's such a corporate presence here that people are entertaining clients. People are, are bringing their families and their employees out for an outing, and, and some people are diehard baseball fans that want to see the next prospect. And, you know, on Thursday, some people just want to drink uh, $2 deep elements um, <laughs> on Thursday, Thursday. And I can respect all of those things. And I think the one thing that that I've always felt is – you know, I was born in Bloomington, Indiana. I was delivered by the IU team doctor, and I grew up in Notre Dame. And, and I think I have a, a really unique perspective on how much sports means to a community. And so sports has the ability to transcend 
all socioeconomic boundaries in a way that really nothing else does and bring people together. And, and, and so now in this world where everybody lives in their own individual bubble and they live through their devices and, and they're disconnected from their neighbors and kind of uh, we, we see baseball as an opportunity to really bring the community together and connect people in a way that, that nothing else really does. So we try to create promotions and events and activities that reflect that. Um, we have a diversity night set up uh, this year where we want to deliver an Epcot-like experience with different food and beverage from different pieces of our community. And there's so much diversity here in North Frisco um, that we're going to have a pregame cricket uh, clinic and a cricket ball and bat giveaway. There's a huge Indian population here. There's a huge Asian population as a whole. And we want to celebrate that diversity and create an opportunity for people to come and take a three-hour vacation from the cable news and the chaos and, and the stress of their lives. And um, for us, it's all about giving people a chance to enjoy the company of their family and friends for three hours and, and have a great emotional, uh, a great experience that connects with, uh, with the people that they were with here at the ballpark. So. It's um, it's a lot of fun and, and something we we can't wait to uh, to get started with. Well, Andy, thank you so much for joining us, and um, it's been a real honor to have you on. Let's get to. Absolutely, looking forward to uh, meeting you out here this summer, and uh, good luck with the uh, the podcast and the rest of your interviews. So, as we close the episode, we want to thank again Andy from the Frisco Rough Riders for joining us. Thanks for Bobby Dynamite for coming on talking a little Astros baseball. Thank you again to the Round Rock Express for welcoming us to the park. And thanks to Jessica for hanging out with me in what was a cold afternoon. But as we close the show, we close on a more somber note. You might have noticed that story producer Scott McIntyre was absent from the show. He normally comes on during our promotional section. In December, Scott and Jenna welcomed to the world a new baby boy named Kyler. And they were, as you might expect, delighted and excited. Like every new child that comes into the world, their life is a blank canvas filled with possibilities, an open book of what their future might look like. And like every baseball fan, Scott was looking forward to sharing the game with Kyler as he grew up. But yesterday, instead of picking out a Cardinals onesie for his son, Scott and Jenna are facing every parent's worst nightmare. Tyler passed away last Friday at three months old. We hope all the fans of the show will hold Scott, Jenna, and Kyler in their heart and if it's in your tradition to do so in your prayers. We look forward to having Scott back on the show, but mostly we just hope that he and Jenna find comfort in this difficult time. They found a charity that helps families deal with the loss of a child and we'll include it in the description of the episode. And to Scott, just know that we love you, brother, and we're here for you. And until next time, let's get to. Sing me out Strikes you right at